listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Intimate, physical, poetic. Corey Rose Suma draws inspiration and creates her music for common places such as bus stops and waiting rooms. Her pieces mainly seek the middle ground between aggressiveness and fragility. Winner of a SoCan Foundation Award, her works have been performed by the string quartet Flux, Choir Le Voix Perrier, Ensemble Pera Mirabo, Percussion Sextet Sixtrum, Ensemble Contemporary Insight, and Orchestre de Edapri. Also passionate about the encounter between music and other artistic forms, she contributed to several multidisciplinary projects with students from L'École Supérieure des Ballets du Québec and students from the Conservatoire d'Art Dramatique de Montréal, as well as the actor Yves Desgagnés. Corey Rose holds a bachelor's degree in composition from the Conservatoire de Musique de Montréal, where she studied with Nicholas Gilbert and Jimmy LeBlanc. She will be pursuing a DMA at Columbia University in fall 2020, where she will study with George Lewis, George Friedrich Haas, and Jascha DeCastri. Very nice to meet you like this, albeit under these circumstances. Yeah. Um, we're going to uh, we're going to talk about three of your pieces tonight, and I wanted to start off with your string quartet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to have you pronounce the name because yeah. my French pronunciation is horrible. <laughs> so the name of the piece is Reflet. And you worked with the Flux Quartet on this piece. So mm-hmm. kind of when and why did you write this piece and, and how, did, how did you get connected with the Flux Quartet? Well, actually, I didn't write the piece for Flux Quartet oh. at first. Okay. So at my school at the Conservatoire de Musique de Montréal, Conservatory of Music of Montreal, um, my last residency, because each semester you have uh, a residency with a, a chamber ensemble, it was for the Molinari uh, String Quartet, which is a Montreal um, chamber ensemble. So I had I had to write a string quartet as mm-hmm. part of the final undergrad thing. So then I did that. They did a reading of it, and then I just just add just few things, and then I send them uh, to Flux Quartet because I was going to do the Soundscape Festival in Italy. Got it. So they yeah. were the invited guests there. So I had the occasion to to work a bit with the piece, but. I kind of knew the piece was going to work because I had the previous session with Molinari and they're just great players and then I had Flux more really great players yeah. too. So the piece is just, I have two recordings that are really nice of it. Yeah. I mean, when you were, you know, you, you kind of said this was an assignment. So when you were kind of given that assignment of write a string quartet, what, you know, what were you what were you thinking? What was the, um, what about the string quartet were you kind of like excited to explore? Well, this is, it's actually my favorite like uh, instrumentation. So I had the uh, occasion to write for string quartet two years ago. And um, at this time, what was my preoccupation was the timeline because I had like one and a half months to write something. So I knew I wanted to do something short. 
and I also knew I wanted to do something with texture that was my main goal I wanted to finish you know my whole studies with something that was more into the global form of uh, my music um, so the idea came actually came just for from looking at a window and having a reflection of something and then I said this is it I just this is the image I need for something working with textures and for such a short piece this this is just perfect so I just went along with it the usual things just went on and the yeah. piece came out <laughs> that that idea of uh reflections you know is that kind of are you kind of using that musically as well kind of saying like you know well here here's maybe a melody or a chord progression or something like that but if you if you see an image as a reflection especially through a window mm. you know that reflection kind of takes on the, that glassy characteristic of the window it loses some of its definition almost mm -hmm. is that kind of how you were translating maybe ideas into texture i think there's a, a few part of it that's this way but i, I think I, I also use you know reflet um, as something more into memory and having you know reflections of things and not necessarily having something really def um, def defined is that the word mm -hmm. um, and it's it's nice because I could have you know I could use those really uh, neutral images of you know just having the light on a surface and seeing how the um, the how you call it the thing <laughs> when you have the light and then you have an object and reflect on the wall it's yeah it's, um, uh, is that a, just a shadow or yeah a shadow i'm yeah. looking for the word shadow yeah. and then just having you know the mirror thing and then just thinking about how you can visual something that you experience but then you you can really you can't ever having it again the same way as you you saw it right yeah it's kind of fleeting in that yeah. way um when you when you're right i mean maybe this piece maybe your process in general when you sit down to write music what is your you know where what are you going to what's your process do you like do you write by hand do you write by a computer are you at the piano Parti i guess particularly for this piece because it is like I couldn't imagine trying to come up with these ideas at the piano. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't really use uh, the piano because I'm a pianist. So at the beginning of when I started to compose, I did use it a lot and then it just felt restrictive for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm really more into drawing what I want to, to project. And um, I'm a very visual person, so I need to see what the sound looks like before being able to really um, hear it and then by hearing it I can just redrawing it um, yeah I don't I, I don't like to use computer for anything because it just yeah. doesn't feel natural and just slowing me into process yeah it, I mean it really does especially you know if you're if you're writing like a notes and rhythm melody harmony piece I think yeah. the computer can like it it takes care of a lot of stuff that maybe working by hand would bog you down in. But for something like this, it's the complete mm. opposite. The computer is just like 
a roadblock standing in your way to Not get really. to where <laughs> you want you want the the score to look like and the and the sounds to be represented as um when you were so when you were writing this because you were writing it for a residency yeah you didn't have the quartet available to kind of like try things out yet no i didn't but i i made so many researches in the past so i Mm -hmm. just knew how the instruments work and i also did a few i did two years of um cello so it helped me a lot just to you know how it works and how pitches work and what you can basically do as just an amateur um so i and i knew i could when the piece was going to be done i could try things that i wasn't sure of but there's so many pieces there's so many uh, resources you know just on the internet that i didn't felt stress about not having any instruments yeah. uh, available for me so when you're working with so many sounds that are let's say non non like non-historically traditional non-traditional yeah <laughs> yeah i mean because they are becoming more and you know it's it's it, they're more the, like contemporary traditional in a way yeah yeah exactly I, I like these these saying, are yeah. these are techniques that are that have entered the lexicon and they're not going anywhere you know so but when you're working with so many of these sounds is there a kind of timbral logic that you're following I mean, is there something that suggests a certain sound to you? I mean, for me, since since I have uh, an elec- a, a background in electronic music, mm. I would like use that to guide me in this, and then kind of like, then kind of just reorchest like orchestrate my ideas for the ensemble. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do Do you have anything like that, or like you said, you you're kind of a visual person, so you. Yes. Yes. Um, I think that this has been really confusing for me since I started at the Conservatoire because I didn't know what I was actually looking for, um, in in the sounds I was ma- I was making and um. Now it's more clear for me that I'm looking at the physicality of the objects. So the more I can, you know, feel them, and the more they are tactical in a way, the more I'm interested in them. The more I can see how they can function in the space, the approximate space I'm giving them, because you never know in sure. any kind of room they are going to be performed. Yeah. But it just it's just so clear for me. It's the morphology and the physicality of the objects that's the thing for me as opposed to say like you know not not and of course you know not that you're like completely denying the uh you know the last however many hundreds of years of string playing no no, no, no but no. like you you still have those moments uh, of course but um it it kind of sounds to me like uh like a you know a, just a bowed note on a violin we've mm-hmm. we've almost kind of through having listened to so many hundreds of years of string music, we've almost kind of divorced that sound yeah. from the actual instrument that makes it. But you're interested in getting to the actual physicality of playing mm-hmm. the instrument. Almost, if I can make, if I can like make a leap, um, 
uh, comparison, almost the way that the painters in, uh, you know, in the mid mid 20th century, uh, mm-hmm. like the New York school of painters were interested in painting with the materials, like not painting a picture of something with materials, but actually engaging in the materials themselves for their own mm-hmm. sake. Does that yeah. kind of ring true to your very, process? Uh a concrete music kind of way of thinking, yeah. like Pierre Shepard used mm-hmm. to, to do. Um, I do think when I start to, you know, organize any kind of sounds, it there's no meaning at first because it's just, since it's physical, it's visual, it's just, it's there. I hear them and they're just there. But the more I work on it, the more I see how the whole idea can be linked to something in this case reflet so me i saw the reflet but i wasn't like okay this is my piece i just some impression came on me mm-hmm. and then i knew i could do something with this impression and then after doing the whole piece with and the all those textures i was able to see oh yeah that reflet back then was really an inspiration in the end yeah i i said that you do have moments of you know just like string strings playing as string instruments how you would assume they Mm. would be played and you know traditionally so since uh you do have quite quite a few moments of uh definite pitch some chord progression some melodic fragments how are you handling pitch in this piece is there a system or uh like a harmonic syntax or or is pitch kind of just a byproduct of the timbral choices that you are making well, actually, because there's a few moments where it's very clear that there's a melody in this piece, or um, I think that the thing that I was more looking for it was the rhythm part of it, mm. and then pitches just came along, and the range of pitches just were added to them because, and I've tried many times to work, you know, in this traditional way because that was the way I was listening to music. It just it doesn't work so the more I can go back to something that's more abstract in a way and then just adding a few steps and going back to adding traditional pitches the better it is for me and then the result is more clear of what I wanted to do by this this steps yeah I'm I'm imagining like some of the the kind of noisy rhythmic gestures that you're giving mm. the players you're I'm assuming you're kind of giving them rhythm and contour on the score I mean is there is there any kind of dr- like overt improvisation or aleatoric process I mean having seen the score <laughs> for your solo bass piece I'm assuming not because you're <laughs> very meticulous yeah I like to control the sound I want. So this yeah. is something that's important to me. Um, I want everything that's on the piece of paper representing what I'm hearing. And the more it's detailed, the more I know when it's going to be played again. It's going to be more exact to what I want. But I am also a lazy person sometimes. <laughs> so <laughs> if I know I can have a texture by just you know adding three weeks more to the writing process and then just having those intense rhythm for something that's basically there for 
short amount of time and the same result can be done with just like a box a few pitches and then a few instructions instructions that's easier to work with musicians in the end to see how they are effective or ineffective then i'm going to do it i'm not yeah. going to <laughs> waste time because i feel like we waste a lot of time not wasting because it's all in the process but we're spending a lot of time of thinking and then we write and writing for me is shorter than thinking and if i can just shorter the the time I can write so I can think more and then have something more stronger and yeah. I will do it. I, I don't need to have more uh, barrier on it. So Yeah. I mean the I, I'm I'm very similar to you where like the the thinking time is my favorite part of the process. Mm-hmm. And the actual like oh, let's choose some notes and rhythms, you know, that's yeah. that like I and I I think it's just because, you know, when you're when you're thinking about the piece before you actually sit down to, you know, notate it or, or, or work out the ideas, it's like, oh, the piece is just crystal clear in your mm-hmm. head. You know, your imagination makes no, you know, notation errors or no. it, it doesn't have to solve those problems. So it's like it feels the best. And then when you get into that process of, you know, getting into the details, then it starts to kind of become a drag a little yeah. bit. Because yeah, I'm spending you, a lot of time on just simple objects that like two second objects I can spend like three hours on them. So mm-hmm. if I have something complex and I know I have the tools, you know, just on op- open music or anything like that, I, I'm going to use them. They are yeah. there for that. And I it's at first it felt like I was cheating in this some way because, you know, seeing some of my colleagues working very hard to do those structures and using mathematical processes, I felt like... Well, I could do something like that, you know, <laughs> be a real contemporary composer, but it's, I have other things to do in my creative process. So I just, I just gave up on that part. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Did, when you said open music, do you mean, um, the, the ear cam software? Yeah. Yeah. So are you using that sometimes to just like, Hey, I, I need some, like for this part, it needs to sound random. So I just need some pitches or something. Yeah, or I need some rhythms. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> they have the whole thing and it's more precise than what I can do just by having my sheet of paper in front of me. I know there are a few people that are really good to doing their own systems and having kind of the same result, but it saves time and it's just, the result is just better. Well, totally. Because, and, and like you, I, I like what you said that it's just a tool. Like yeah. you, you are deciding when and how to use that tool. Um, I, I've done, I've done that plenty of times when, you know, you write, uh, like I've written, uh, programs to like, well, I want, uh, harmony to kind of evolve like this. So I'm going to write a program that mm. I can, I could just do it. You know, I press a button and 10 seconds later, I have like 400 harmonies that I can choose like in a row that I can choose from or something like that. So yeah, I, I totally agree that when that kind of thing is not integral or even maybe it is, but maybe you just want to kind of mm. take the take the decision out of your own hands like i think one time i did that because i felt like i was i was in kind of a pitch rut i kept choosing the same things over and over again Mm. and i was just like i know if i'm left my own devices i'm going to choose this thing so instead i'm going to write a computer program that will be based on the things i like but then Mm. 
it will also choose things that I would I wouldn't think about. So yeah, yeah, they're good And then tools. you can always correct the computer. The computer it, isn't exactly. always right. So, yeah. <laughs> sometimes you have something really close to what you want, but there, there's always parameters that computers can can yeah. they, they can have it. So you I have like to that. always check. I them. like that. The computer is not always right. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I'll have uh, so to set to set up hearing the recording. I'll have you mm-hmm. say the names of the players of Flex Quartet and then um, the title of the piece again. Oh, okay. Um, so Tom Shu, Conrad Harris, Max Mandel, and Felix Fan for Reflet. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hi everyone. My name is Jamie Lee Sampson. I'm a co-owner of Adjective New Music LLC and a proud member of the Adjective Composers Collective. I hope that you're enjoying this week's episode of Lexical Tones. If you like what you hear, please feel free to check out the previous seasons of this podcast via SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Adjective New Music website, where we explore a diverse array of sound worlds being created by the musicians of the 21st century. Before returning to this week's episode, here's a brief interlude featuring the music of Andrea Rankemeyer performed by the Linfield Concert Choir with Dr. Anna Song conducting. Feel free to sit back and enjoy this excerpt of Andrea Rankenmeyer's When Justice Reigns. return to this week's episode of lexical tones so next let's talk about uh your ensemble piece mm-hmm. and um gonna gonna need you to say the title yeah again. the title is litany pour un retour do you have a, a a translation of what basically that means uh well uh actually the title is stolen from Jacques Brel so do you know Jacques Brel is the, is the Belgian uh, compo- uh, composer singer uh but the translation so basically in this song is singing um a lot of um nouns and adjectives to just 
uh, expresses love to someone. So it's like kind of a list of okay. words um, playing it out loud. So litani, I think it's the word in English, the same thing. Yeah, it's litany. And then boireto is for your returning, something like that. Because okay. That would be the translation I can give the best that, that, <laughs> for this piece. <laughs> yeah, that's prob- probably better than uh, what you might plug into Google Translate or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this piece is for uh, saxophone, trombone, tuba, percussion, piano, uh, two violins, cello, and double bass. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I looked at your uh, your program notes that you have on your SoundCloud and admittedly i did throw them into google translate and mm. um something that came out from them and you can you can kind of tell me if this is right or wrong um at the very end of the program notes it said um the piece is sometimes a turbulent lullaby but also a reflection on the intimacy and beauty that we find in our daily actions and i'm i'm kind of wondering what kind of daily actions inspired this piece um so I'll just say that I have always been a lunatic person since I was a younger child. So, And I also had a lot of difficulties at school. So most of my time I will spend them at looking at the window outside mm-hmm. and just looking at what stuff was going on, which is basically nothing. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you're in school, you know, there's nobody around. Everyone is at work. So um, at that time, when I was writing for this piece... I was in this kind of routine where you just you're at school and then you have your classes and then you have to find two or three hours to compose. Then you have to go back home to eat something and then you have to go back to work. And this kind of routine just um, inspiring me in a way like I liked it. I like it to just have the same schedule and just doing stuff. Mm-hmm. around and um but i was mainly inspired by you know just using transportation taking the subway the bus or um walking back from work from school uh, reading a book or just um sitting in a place just to relax and just yeah. seeing how the sun is at that time or anything like that yeah i mean the the actions of our daily lives can be like very poetic if you like put a frame on them Mm. you know like it kind of speaks to the you know the the idea that uh like john cage was saying that was purporting that um you know anything can be music but not everything is music you know (laughs) you still need the frame yeah you need the frame still (laughs) right so um so yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's that's a very beautiful sentiment. Um, mm. Where did the instrumentation for this piece come from? Yeah. Okay. So actually, it was also a residency at the Conservatoire. So basically, this is a weird class. So each um, composer during their undergrad, they have to do this kind of chamber music ensemble. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you don't know the instrumentation before the midterm because people are actually taking or not taking the class. So they're deciding if they want to do it. So performer, it. I think they have to do like two classes in this style so you you can't know the instrumentation before like half of the semester which is 
really hard yeah. to work on anything and you don't you, you kind of want to have an idea but you want to see what you're going to get and my idea actually wasn't it wasn't the best idea for this instrumentation but i somehow made it work so because i have a, a lot of low frequencies instruments which is a lot it's an unbalanced instrumentation yeah. too but I, w- I was kind of stuck with it. <laughs> so I had to work with them. Totally. Is, that was a, kind of a challenge. Yeah. I mean, and the thing that, I, well, that makes so much more sense to me why you have a tuba in this, yeah. in this ensemble. <laughs> also that. I was the only one with a tuba. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this class you were taking, was it kind of a thing where you said all the composers had to take it and performers mm-hmm. could kind of elect to take it. Was it kind of a class where... Um, you are like everyone, everyone that's in it, everyone composes, everyone performs? Or? No, it's, it's, okay. um, so the performer at the, the conservatoire, basically they play some other repertoire, so they can play some uh, French Canadian music, contemporary music, or they can play, you know, some classic. And then each semester, if we are a mini composer, they have like one creation to do basically so for this semester that was my my piece and this semester after that that was um one else <laughs> yeah i was uh, creating a piece and the instrumentation was also changing because people were or were not taking the class yeah oh my god that's, <laughs> that's so yeah and <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping someday they will just you know make it easier for us to have instrumentation beforehand but it's yeah. just the system how it is I mean, I, I, I had a, uh, a class, not exactly like that, but kind of how I described it, where mm. all the people in the class, they all compose and they all perform, but the composers have to write for the entire class, whereas, oh, the, interesting. whereas the performers could just write for like little subsets. Okay. So my piece, like yours, is very unbalanced. Like, it's just kind of, you just get the, yeah. oh, well, I... <laughs> I have a, a trumpet and a horn and a trombone and two double bassists and four pianos. And it's like, what am I supposed to do with all these? You no, know? yeah. yeah. And I, I honestly think this, that this was never going to be played again because it's, you know, a really specific instrumentation, but then get, it got played in Toronto by a music concert. So that was nice to hear again and see yeah. how this unbalanced things is kind of working. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what kinds of so in the in the beginning of the piece and and kind of all throughout the piece the it seems like the instrumentalists who are not playing at that particular moment are also saying things in different mm-hmm. spots and it seemed to me that the audience is maybe not meant to know but what they're saying but just to hear like kind of murmuring if they're almost as if they're overhearing someone else at like a cafe or something so do are are we meant to hear specific things or or does it kind of not matter? Um, there are a few phrases. So okay. at the beginning, at the end, and in the middle where I really wanted the people to hear, but um, the, it for me was more like a texture and I, re- I love to make <laughs> my musician talk. They're mm-hmm. really uncomfortable doing it. But <laughs> they are, they, it's just, it's, something special that we can really reproduce in music although now i'm not making anyone speaking in my music i'm trying to see how i can just 
convey it with sound and it's mm-hmm. really difficult i haven't found find any kind of sound that's just close to it and basically it's not even a text it's um it's some verb it's some noun and then there's a few you know fragmented phrases it's if you read it you kind of see what the text means mm-hmm. but it's not meant for people to actually hear the whole thing except the beginning and the end phrases which are very important in the whole piece yeah and what what because they are in french uh what yes. do those <laughs> what, what do I those phrases mean stay in french because you cer- I certainly i've been playing you know in in english concert but it's it, it doesn't mind me if people don't really understand it as long as I understand it. <laughs> in okay. way. But it doesn't it, it doesn't steal anything to not understand it, I think, in the end of the piece okay. or at the beginning. So yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um since since this piece is is dealing way more with uh with pitches and harmonies, mm. um how are you how are you kind of handling it in pitch harmony melody whatever how are you kind of handling it in this one so this piece actually marks i feel like the beginning of what i want to do in composition i'm I'm not sure i will do anything like that again but i was really tired at that point to not have been able to convey what i wanted so i was mostly working with things i knew so like um you know, pitch and rhythm as we talked, but I was also, I also didn't, didn't know much about contemporary music. It just felt like I knew, you know, uh, after war and then until the 80s music, Mm -hmm. and it felt like if it's only that, (laughs) it's kind of, you know, boring. And then I had this brilliant class with uh, one of uh, French-Canadian composer Maxime McKinley and just did the whole, you know, contemporary Music is three from, you know, after war and until today. And then I discovered what contemporary music could be. And just it just blew my mind. I didn't know any of those people after the 80s. And how sound is just, it's incredible. Because you, have, you, you, you go from a point where it's just, the system is just going to collapse. Mm-hmm. And then it collapses and just go in so many different ways. It's so interesting. So I was I was inspired by some you know like uh, Gérard Pesson or uh, Salvatore Chiarino or Kate Sober. Those were really my you know opening to that kind of world. But although I knew I wanted to go to something more like this, it was hard for me to just kind of start over again. Yeah. And at some point, I was really frustrated. Plus, I just knew the instrumentation, so that was really hard to <laughs> work yeah. with something like that. And I I rarely do that now, but I sat down on the piano and I just played a few things and then this melody came out and I just said, this is it. So I, ro- I worked from those four pitches that you hear the whole piece and with four chords and then I just... I just started with it and that was it. I there's no you know structure. There's only those two things, the pitches mm-hmm. and those four chords that's just doing the whole piece. Yeah. So you you kind of you kind of discovered in that, you know, hearing hearing and studying music from like the 80s and beyond. 
Mm-hmm. Or even I'm assuming also, you know, finding pieces from before that that are just yeah. not taught that much, you know, because they don't mm-hmm. fall into that into that narrative of, oh, you have to be a serial composer or you have to be a minimalist or yeah. something like that. You know, so you you kind of gained um, inspiration from those people. Like you mentioned Kate Soper mm-hmm. um, that uh, are maybe like just kind of doing it how they want to do it, you know? I mean, it's their personalities actually yeah. won me over. It's not even so much the songs just felt like it's their music while yeah i mean i love elliot carter and anything like that but at some point it felt like i was listening to something general more than something personal and mm-hmm. it's it was back then it was the the time for doing that but if for me i felt stuck and i felt also that i was really late compared to my other colleagues because they knew more than me and i wasn't really looking into anything contemporary music because i was really confused of what i should be looking for so yeah and i this 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 was just so helpful and i listened to everything i had to listen to until i couldn't listen to anything because (laughs) everything now sounded the same so i had to go back to something completely different but yeah I mean, that's that I have to say that, you know, that is where a lot of educational institutions kind of fail is they they can't bring you up to the present um, in terms of music. You know, like in any in any given undergraduate theory class, you're Mm -hmm. lucky you're lucky if you get up to like serialism. And then if you go beyond that, oh my God, what school are you in? You know, like, and, but, but even, even still, like, you know, I think because education is so focused on using a textbook mm-hmm. and using the materials that are out there, having concrete, uh, concrete research out there, like research is always so far behind what's actually mm-hmm. happening right now. So it's like if you really want to give your students or like if you are a student and you really want to have that experience, it's like you almost have to go out and get it yourself yeah. because, because you know, it's, it is unfortunately kind of rare that um, in any formal educational setting, you will get up to listening to like Kate Soper or you know, Ashley Fury or, mm. or who, like whoever, you know, name anyone that's working right now that's doing it. And you're probably not going to learn about them in school. So, mm. well, yeah. in my school, it was actually, we were learning them too late, I think. So, too it, late. like the yeah. third year, you have like that analysis class, which is more into, you know, modern and today days music, but it's the end of the undergrad. So yeah. it's too late, but I, I'm, I was kind of lucky. So I did a four year uh, undergrad instead of three. So I had one more year to just see more and I had the occasion to, to travel and go see festival and meeting some American people because <laughs> I don't know why, but we're so into European music at the Conservatoire, which is, it's fine, but it felt like anything that's American was more into minimalism, which is not true. Yeah. <laughs> so then I, I had to meet some people of my age and saying, yes, there was some influence of this for sure. But 
there's also something more refined about this and not that I'm I'm not minimalist at all but it it really helped me to to reconnect with something more consonant in a way mm -hmm. yeah yeah I, I I totally understand what you're saying yeah I mean I think that once once you kind of get past the uh the dogma of either you know either this or that or mm. that whatever whatever those things might be once you get kind of past the well no i don't have to follow any rules mm. i'm going to take what works for me and like you said make a more personal music mm -hmm. and once you kind of come to that um i think it's much it's much easier to because I, I'm like, I, I completely relate to what you're saying. Like I went through that uh, myself where I was like, you know, playing a major chord on the piano. I was like, ah, <laughs> that doesn't feel good. And then, you know, it was, it, it was kind of, I think trying to get to that, you know, well, what, you know, I, I'm having that reaction because I've been taught to have that reaction. Like what is what is actually inside of me? Like what mm -hmm. feels good? And um, so it seems like you said this was kind of uh, a beginning or a turning point yeah. on in terms of what you want to do. So so that's that I you know that that sounds great because it means that you know you're going to be pursuing that kind of personal yeah. music going forward. So let's listen to this piece. Um, was this? Uh, were the performers on the recording were this just your like classmates at the conservatoire? Yeah. Okay. Cool. So uh the title of this piece is Litanie pour un retour.
So let's talk about your last piece. This is for solo double bass. Um, this has been featured on uh, Score Follower, mm -hmm. which um, if people are interested, they can go um, look up the title of the piece, which is Limpidity Art. So uh, if you, yeah, if you want to go see the score, go look up uh, that on Score Follower. Score Follower. Um, the title Google Translate told me it meant clarity. I think that's the closest way of translating it because yeah. yeah, yeah, clarity is good. Okay. Um I mean for me it like that translation makes sense because looking at score follower mm -hmm. and like I said about, you know, your your uh your first piece, like it's so meticulously notated that clarity seems like a very good way to describe that. But I'm sure mm -hmm. there's a different reason you chose this and maybe you can talk about why this title for this piece what is the meaning yeah clarity is not exactly it's not quite right. <laughs> it's it's close it's you know just the um the more the impression more than just having something that's clear in the mm -hmm. song it's like the effect of having some lapidity I guess translucent would be more appropriate in a way. Okay, kind of. yeah. 
Um, so this piece, um, I was actually uh, in more interested in just the how am I gonna say it <laughs> um, uh, of of being in a place where you you feel translucent and where you feel you're physically there but you're not really there. Yeah. So it doesn't really translate in the piece, but that was the working point. And just I was also interested in just maybe working a bit more with spaces and silence too to express mm -hmm. that kind of idea. Um, it kind of worked, but in the end, it's 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 again more about texture. That was like some point I wanted to try to add more sound objects. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's hard to describe this piece. It's kind of had this really intense uh, philosophical um, kind of way of explaining it, and then now today I just see it doesn't do any good <laughs> at the piece at some point so the title it it does ref um you know reflect the the translucent part of it which you know you can hear it but then yeah. everything that's the meaning of it i just i disconnect from it now yeah i mean hearing hearing you talk about that like your your body is there but you're not there mm -hmm. you know kind of thing I, i'm from watching the score and and listening to it you made me think of a particular technique that you use in the um in the piece and it's you have the bass like doing these really fast runs mm. um scalar runs but it is all uh sul ponticello so it's like on the page i see this run but hearing it it comes out almost like a gliss and it's very high it's kind of mm. it's divorced from like what you see on the page to what you actually hear as a result so i can imagine that the player of this piece does experience that kind of idea of translucency um maybe more so than the audience because the player like knows well this is where it's starting from mm -hmm. And this is where it's ending. And you kind of, there's that, that not barrier, but there's that space in between that, uh, where that transformation like takes the sound, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that's the beautiful thing on double bass. It's, I think it's my, one of my favorite instruments because it's so large. So you have that really lower, you know, register that everyone yeah. knows, but the higher register is really interesting. It's, it's it so cool. higher than any other instruments because they have the place for the finger. Like the violin, they can go up at some point because it's too small for this finger. So you kind of have to work around that. But the double bass, it's rich of possibilities in the higher pitches. So I did, I really wanted to put emphasis on that. Yeah. Now, were you were you working with a particular player on this piece? I mean, yeah. you you said that you had uh, two years of cello, so obviously you have like string string background. But yeah, um, I I I played I played double bass in high school, and it is not a cello. No, it's not. <laughs> so actually, I was um, working. I was part of this thing into uh, Laboratoire de Musique Contemporaine de Montréal, Laboratory of 
music, contemporary music in Montreal. It's kind of like yeah. um, they used to do that in Toronto, and now it's just Montreal. It's basically it's um, an an accessible workshop where uh, and they pick some composer and they pick some performer and they they just make some collaboration. So you had many choice if you wanted to perform yourself, if you if you wanted to do some improvisation. But for me, I'm more into, you know, just traditional kind of writing. Mm -hmm. So I was um, put in collaboration with a double bassist at McGill University who was doing his uh, doctoral studies. I think he finished this year. Uh, his name is uh, Renaud Boucher-Browning. And uh, he was not used to do many contemporary pieces. So... That was great to work with him in a way because I could see how with someone that's really a classical person, how you can, you know, just put it on paper so they can get it right away. Uh, and he's really good too. And that helped me a lot to yeah. hear just, you know, classic, um, um, très in the music that, you know, they, they are used to it. So we should use them more <laughs> so yeah. i know there are so many things you can do like percussive or just you know malicious techniques but it felt i wanted to kind of not push in too much <laughs> because mm -hmm. <laughs> the micro tonality part was already stressing him out <laughs> so yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you you are like exploring timbre of the bass, but also microtonality. So mm. is microtonality a kind of frequent aspect of your work in other pieces? It is not used to as a centerpiece at all. Um, so I, I use it because it felt like if I just written some glissandi, it would not do exactly what I wanted to do. So having all those steps written yeah. was a better way to can what I wanted to say but it's I mean I, it's impossible to exactly play those microtones at the speed of the piece um, right but then I, I, I think I was being interested in microtonality since I was you know younger um, because I've been listening to a lot of Koran music I don't know if you know that instrument um, uh, what, what is it, it Koran it's like an so. African string instrument that you play uh, with your finger. It sounds like kind of a guitar, but it's not exactly the same way. Okay. And the uh -huh. way they, they tune it, it's not, you know, um, the usual pitches. So you have mm. this melody that's really kind of classic. And then because of the instruments, how it's made, it's kind of like you have those friction. So this this is what I'm more interested in than you know, micronality and just having, because it's, it's another world. I've been, yeah. <laughs> I've been reading the Vishne Rasky uh, book where we talk about microtonality and it's another world and I'm not sure I want to go this direction <laughs> for microtonality yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there, it seems like there are maybe a couple different types of microtonal composers there are mm -hmm. those that like oh i'm gonna divide the octave by 19 or, or yeah. whatever <laughs> you know and it's like that is like you say that's the that's the focus of the mm -hmm. work and then there are other composers and i i would include myself in this where it's like i use it when it is necessary to express an idea mm -hmm. and but it's not like i'm still the 12 the 12 notes are still yeah. like 
the notes and mm. the microtones are allowing me to embellish those notes yeah. as opposed to the microtones are like the new oh 19 or 37 or you know what, whatever it's going to be i want to go back to the the um instrument you were talking about in africa what region of africa is that from it's more in the north actually okay um, so the great players are from senegal Senegal. Okay. Um, so you have, uh, I will send you the names after that. Tumani yeah. Diabate and Sidiki Diabate, they're a father in, in the sun. It's uh-huh. it's the best player in the world. It's it's one of the, I, I don't know why I play piano actually. <laughs> that's it. That's, yeah, this is my favorite instrument. It's so rich in, in colors and yeah. texture and the rhythm that you can do with it is really interesting. And it's not at all contemporary or anything like that. It's it's just the sound is not what you're used to hear. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's just great. I just love it. Yeah, I I I'll look forward to checking that out. Um, well, let's listen to your your double bass piece. So, um, if you could say the name of the performer and the title again. Um, so the performer is Renaud Boucher Browning, and the title of the piece is Limpidité Art. Thank you. 
Okay, so we've come to the end where uh, I ask the question that I ask all the composers and artists that are on the podcast. Mm. Um, how did you come to music as something you wanted to pursue for your life? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a pianist since I'm, I uh, was eight years old, which is kind of late for a pianist, right? So mm -hmm. I've, I, I have always been interested in just, you know, sounds since I was little, but, you know, not in a academic way or anything like that so um, I think I actually started to compose by being inspired by you know film music this is mostly what you're interested in when you're you know younger or anything yeah. like that and then I went to after high school in Quebec it's really particular to Quebec it's we go to call something called CIGE which is kind of a, a college but not exactly the same way it's a unique system and basically you have to choose what you kind of want to want to do in the university so I choose to do some music so I, I perfected my piano the best way I could and then I had to go into composition because I was interested in too and we had some electroacoustic classes so really intense electroacoustic classes and that yeah. just I, I really love doing electroacoustic I, I almost chose to go into electroacoustic it, that, it was easy for me because you just you hear the sound and then you just place them, which is basically what I do with paper now. Yeah. So, but after that, I don't know why I decided I liked instruments better and for some reason. So I went and applied to go to the conservatoire and then I got accepted and then I got lost for two years. So I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I was taking the classes. I was trying to compose. So I had a few pieces, you know, more classic first year student pieces. And I wasn't really into it because I didn't know what I, I was doing. Yeah. And it didn't sound good at all. <laughs> so I felt <laughs> like I was there for by mistake. And then I had that just beautiful classes about the history then I had those festivals that I went along and that was it that I knew I, I liked to compose and that was just great and then I I finished my undergrad and I, I wasn't sure yet if I wanted to pursue anything so I took a year off and then for some reason I got accepted at Columbia <laughs> which I never thought I would be accepted so I applied I said oh anyway if I I'm not 
you know, selected, I can just go do a master in Willow. So now that's a new exciting path. I don't feel I'm really young, so I don't feel yet like I'm a that composer that's like has her ID complete. So I want to work on that. I also want to work more on refining my music, of course. Yeah. But I want to work with with other people and I want to be in a diverse background <laughs> so that's yeah. mainly why I've chosen to go to Colombia because mm -hmm. that would be great for me <laughs> I feel yeah. because I, it, the conservatoire was great on some part but on other that was I felt a bit lonely there mm -hmm. and I had great colleagues I had great teachers but I couldn't stay there I knew I knew for my my master because mostly people do that um so i'm really excited to see what is going to happen in the future even in covid19 situation so. <laughs> yeah oh my god are you are you going to be able to get to colombia uh so i decided to stay in montreal simply okay. because it's you don't know what's going to happen in the state yeah. yet, so it's kind of like crazy going. <laughs> yeah, well, and uh, yeah, the border and, is still closed between right. Canada and the US until the end of August, and I don't think they will open it in September, so it was uh -huh. kind of... I would have to wait to go there in person, and I think most classes are going to be taking online, so... Yeah. I mean, if it's online, I don't need to move out, so... Yeah, that's... And honestly, with the way things are going in the United States right now, you're way safer. Everything is on fire. <laughs> yes. I'm looking at that and yes. everything is on fire. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I on top here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on top of, uh, you know, a horrible pandemic and, mm -hmm. you know, a complete uh, societal upheaval and uh, reckoning with race and um so many other things yeah. like coming at the same time uh yeah maybe stay in canada <laughs> i will for stay in montreal <laughs> yeah. one semester. it's a five years degree so if i miss yeah. one semester in person it's not too bad yeah. so i yeah, i'm not totally. too stressed about that but it would have been ideal to meet all the people in person but of course be online yeah we all got something stolen from us during this pandemic so we're not all alone in this so yeah that's that's very true so uh before we go can you tell people where they could find more of your music or connect with you like uh on social media or something like that oh so my music can be found on soundcloud so you just have to uh, write cory rose suma <laughs> and you can also find me on facebook with my same name which would be written and yeah <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, Cody. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.